This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put it on. He's up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, college editor here at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, Ishmael Johnson, sitting here on the other line in Austin, Texas. Beautiful ATX is Mike Craven. Mike, what's up, man? Doing pretty good. Uh, good weather. Beautiful ATX for the next couple of days, and then I'm sure, mm-hmm. like you guys, about to get about to get weird here in a couple a couple of days weather wise, and, and mid March yeah. for spring break. Yeah, definitely, it's gonna get very uh, very weird. I mean, it's. Well, I was in San Antonio for uh, state basketball, and it was 90 degrees, and then I drive up back to Dallas, and it was like a low of 50, and I was like, what? Like, what is what it's is happening state. right now? It's a big yeah. state. It's a big state. Um, of course, as usual, with us is everyone's favorite Mal Pal, Mallory Hardly. Mallory, hi. Hi. I uh, finished filling out both my men's and women's NCAA brackets today. So feeling nice. pretty optimistic. Feeling like I got, you got. the brackets. So for, for the men's, I have Alabama. And then okay. for the women's, I have South Carolina. So two two sec programs not that big yeah. a fan of that but i was about know, to say i have i think i have both out. of those i think i have both of those in mind too <laughs> yeah yeah they're both hard man it's hard it's, it's gonna be tough especially yeah. when it gets to the final four <laughs> that's hard. yeah this this is gonna be a year where i wouldn't be surprised at no number one at least on the men's side no yeah number oh one definitely it, i don't feel i don't feel too confident i've been jaded about texas this year and i have them making my final four so that just shows how crazy this year's been <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so I needed um, but, my soul okay. for Marquette to play Texas just so we can get a shock of smart Texas Longhorns in the championship game. Situation. If, if, if Texas fans have to go through AM and their former head coach in back in the same tournament, they might they might lose the lose their minds. <laughs> that would be wild. Uh, that'd be pretty funny. Um, so you know, with that being said, you probably realize it's March. It's basketball season right now. So there's not really much happening in football. It's still kind of in that limbo area of some programs are in the middle of spring, some programs taking a little break from spring for spring break, things like that. And so we just figured we should talk a little bit about spring because spring storylines haven't really come out yet. Uh, Texas is really the only one after Sark mentioned the, the quarterback battle. And so we kind of figured let's use this episode to kind of talk about the spring storylines and kind of some programs that we kind of have some questions about heading into spring. Um, we don't have an interview for this week, and so we're gonna that's we're just gonna jump right into it. So, at least for me personally, I'm gonna start with Baylor. And by the way, we're sticking with the Big 12 in this episode. Um, I'm gonna start with Baylor because this is a program seemingly, I don't want to say at a crossroads. That kind of feels a little too, uh, a little too dire, I guess. But they are in a situation where they're in year three of to four. Sorry, year four, four of Dave Miranda. Yeah. Um, of Dave Miranda. So they've kind of lost the well, he's working on it excuse, right? They've kind of lost that whole identity or that whole uh reasoning for maybe why things are slipping up, why things aren't as as good. The thing that he had in year one, right? He's fixing things, things are changing. But they're also not quite on the trajectory that we would expect in terms of them being a big 12 contender, at least this year. And so Craven, this is where I kind of want to go off, uh, get off on, on this discussion. What, 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 what are your expectations now here in, in March for Baylor, a team that underperformed last year had kind of glaring holes didn't really uh, maybe fill those holes in ways, way, way, ways we expected, maybe via the transfer portal or whatever. You know, where, what are your thoughts, overall thoughts on Baylor heading into spring? And what are you kind of looking to to hear from camp around there? 
I don't think crossroads is a, is an overstatement. Honestly, I think that could be a, an easy description of where Baylor is at because they've had such big highs and such big lows under Aranda. You know, they, mm-hmm. they win two games in year one in 2020, they go six and seven last year. And then sandwiched in between that is a 12 win season, the best season in program history, a big 12 championship, a sugar bowl win over Ole Miss. And so is Baylor more 2021 or is Baylor more, 2022, 2020. I have no idea. I think the argument could be made made both ways, right? Like Dave Aranda won the Big 12 with a roster mostly put together by Matt Rule and his staff. At the mm-hmm. same time, that roster reached its pinnacle. It, it it exceeded its expectations under Dave Aranda and his staff. And so I don't think the question is whether Dave Aranda can coach. The question is, can Dave Aranda get this Baylor team to win as presently constructed? And when you look at what they brought in, they didn't bring in a ton of new guys, right? Like it's going to be probably the same quarterback, mostly the same weapons on the outside. The offensive line will go through some changes, uh, but it's not it's not like SMU, right, where they bring in 17 transfers mm-hmm. and they're they're getting half their new starters from the portal. It's most of the same guys who were either starting last year or playing in reserve roles that are now going to step in for guys. I see them more as the six, seven, eight win team than the 10, 11, 12 win team. And is that good enough at Baylor? They've had three different coaches go to Big 12 championships over the last decade plus. Um I don't know if they're okay with being a 500 program and that's about what they've been outside of that one big year. And so uh, I think it is kind of a crossroads year for, for Dave Aranda where we finally get to know what type of program are they, are they more of the mountaintop or are they more of the Valley or are they right dead in the middle? Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to is obviously we can talk about the quarterback situation, right? Blake Shapen, they bring in Sawyer Robertson to, to hopefully push him or maybe even beat him out this spring. We'll see. Um, and from Mississippi state, but the thing that I'd be really curious to see is how much that offensive line played into that, that championship year, right? Because they brought in, they were still solid last year, but in that, that, that big 12 title winning team was dominant, right? The running game was dominant and that pass protection was probably dominant. And I think that's what helped Blake shape a lot was him not having to kind of make on the fly decisions. The offense was able to kind of work as it was. And, and of course we know Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos, the offensive line coach, how, how in tandem they worked, you know, they bring in the Barringtons from BYU, which I think are, was, which I think might've been their two of their biggest acquisitions um, uh, in this off season. And I wonder just how much having a better offensive line that's maybe more approaching that 2021 level could just level out everything else, right? Does Richard Reese take a step forward just from having a better line? Does Blake Shapin or if it's Sawyer Robertson, does do they make the offense better just from having a better offensive line, right? We we can we can talk about maybe the lack of weapons or the need to find weapons on the outside, but how much of that is just hindered by having that that barrier up front you know um uh that was kind of the thing last year was the running game wasn't as dominant obviously when you don't have a Gary Bahannon when you lose two running backs but it wasn't as it was they weren't as dominant up front uh until and then they kind of caught on late in the year of course Richard Reese helps with that but I wonder how much that kind of plays into it and I I would expect both Barrington's to kind of make an impact really early um we'll obviously see how they look in the spring things like that um but yeah to me that's that's kind of where I'm where I'm at because I I feel like quarterback is what it is. They either have Blake Shapin or they're starting Sawyer Robertson. And it's like, that's kind of it, right? There's no, there's no magic hill. I don't know if Blake, if Blake Shapin takes a step forward or if he is who he was last year. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not as hinge, hinging on that uh, this spring. I, I honestly think the offensive line is going to take a step back this year. I, I don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, for me on the offensive line, that's my biggest question mark on the offense. I mean, we can talk about sure. Blake Shapin. Uh, but I don't know how you get better when you lose Connor Galvin, Jacob Gall, Grant That's Miller, Khalil Keith. Uh, all of those guys came back from 2021. Uh, they had some running back injuries. Tate McWilliams, you know, was injured early. And I don't think Richard Reese kind of was ready. It's hard as a, as a young kid like that to be ready week two, week three. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time he was, he, they were pretty good running the football. Uh, they just got to get more consistent passing the ball. Like they're sure. not going to get back. I think that 2021 season took a lot of Big 12 defensive coordinators by surprise. They weren't a wide zone rushing team in Dave Aranda's first year. They were in year two. They had a perfect running back for that in Abram Smith. Uh, And it was just a new scheme that I I don't think – I think it took a a year for a lot of coordinators to kind of figure out. Uh, They did a little bit better last year, and then they did not have the downfield passing attack to get guys out of the box. Most of their best 
wide receivers were slot guys that were underneath routes that, you know, it wasn't a vertical passing game. Um, mm-hmm. So for that running, running game to get better, uh, I think they're going to have to figure out how to get down the field, how to get safeties out of the box. Uh, but I don't know uh, if they can do that with Blake Shapin. Uh, I think that's the biggest conversation around Baylor is what is Blake Shapin in year three? I mean, I, I think a lot when you saw him in glimpses as a freshman in 2021, you know, at the mm-hmm. end of the year when Bohannon went down, it's like, man, that passing game is going to take a step forward under Shapin. And I think he's got the talent to do that, but he's been inconsistent. He hasn't always made uh, the best decisions, but maybe another full offseason with Jeff Grimes helps that. Yeah. Let's take that quarterback situation and kind of ride into the next team. Um, I guess the next two teams, I don't know if they kind of all have quarterback situations, Um, but TCU, at least um, less of a situation. We know who's going into it, right? We know Chandler Morris for them was named the starter last year, obviously gets hurt against Colorado. Max Duggan comes in, lights the world on fire, becomes who no, I don't think anybody here thought he could become um, and now has a chance to get drafted. So, Chandler Morris, presumed starter for TCU, he theoretically heads into spring. You know what? what, He did flash a lot in his first uh, snaps before uh, uh, um, uh, in Gary Patterson's last year, right? I should say he flashed something, right? People were like, "Oh, this is interesting. He can. He has a little bit of an arm. He can run a little bit. He's not maybe the downhill runner that that Max Duggan is, but he can scramble a little bit. There's a little bit of." uh, a uh, gamer, a uh, gamer mentality to him. What do you kind of, I don't know. What do you expect from to see from from Chandler Morris? Um, we, obviously, he loses his offensive coordinator, so it's a little bit of a. We'll see how different that looks. But you know, what do you kind of expect to see from Chandler Morris, who, for all of his potential, flashed in that one. You know, the the couple of times he played in twenty twenty one. It was still, you know, it was still kind of, there was still a lot to work on there. Um, but then again, this is a guy who we mentioned beat out Max Duggan for the starting job, technically heading to last year. It's going to be an interesting thing watching TCU this year. I think they're one of the more fascinating program and, and programs in terms of, of what 2023 is, was going to be because they exceeded expectations so much in 2020, 2022. What are those expectations this year? I think even if Chandler Morris has a higher ceiling and is it a quote unquote better quarterback than Max Duggan, they can still be a worse team because they lost sure. Quentin Johnston. They lose Tay Barber. They lose Darius Davis. They lose their best interior offensive linemen, their best running backs, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, for me, this is less about uh, what Chandler Morris is compared to Max Duggan as much as it is mm-hmm. like, what are the weapons around him? How do they retool that offensive line? And what does the offense look like under Kendall Bryles and a new offensive coordinator? In a lot of ways, the new starting quarterback is like the most sure thing on the roster. Cause at least he like won a spot and has been around and knows the players on the team and, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there are so many question marks surrounding him on the offensive side of the ball uh, and on the defensive side of the ball uh, that it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting year for, for TCU. It's like, are they, are they going to do the Baylor thing, right? Where they go from winning 12 games, uh, 13 games, right. Or, and then back to six, or do they mm-hmm. kind of find a a better dropping point to eight or nine? But it feels 10 wins or more. It almost feels like impossible looking at this roster, unless every single one of those new transfers just completely hits. Well, let, let's let's stay on that, you know, that transfer, because that's kind of where they're going to have to fill those holes left by Kendra Miller and, and Quinn Johnson. You mentioned, you know, who do you expect to kind of make the biggest impact? If you had to name one of these transfers now, to, to refresh some people's memories, of course, they pick up JoJo Earl, uh, you know, hometown kid there. They pick up Tommy Brockermeyer from Oklahoma, or uh, sorry, Alabama on the offensive line. Um, uh, John Paul Richardson from Oklahoma State. So, like, they brought in some pretty A-list, at least in terms of, like, on-paper skill set, A-list guys. Obviously, JoJo Earl, Tommy Brockermeyer didn't have the careers they wanted at Alabama, but these are still guys that you would have thought, like, yeah, oh, if TCU got these guys out of high school, it would have been a coup for them, right? Um, so, who you know, is there anybody that you're kind of expecting to kind of come in and make that impact, maybe not exactly being a Quentin Johnston, but maybe somebody you would position to be in that mold or be uh, maybe shoulder the load of the offense a little bit more? It needs to be JoJo Earl. You know, he has, you know, the biggest upside of of that group. He can be a playmaker. He can do what Darius Davis, uh, Tay Barber did last year, not only as a, as a wide receiver, but in the return game and that Mm -hmm. air raid offense that, that Browse runs that, you know, even, uh, you know, Garrett Riley ran, 
it really uses those short passing stuff. You know, a lot of jet screens, yeah. a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of screens out wide, a lot of quick hitches, a lot of crossing routes over the middle mesh and things of that nature. Uh, and then it uses stuff out of the slot to get you deep and get you on a safety and isolate you that way. I think Jojo Earl has the perfect skill set to do that. I mean, he's like a little Jalen Waddle, you know, like he, he was that as a recruit coming out of Alito, he has that type of like next level speed that changes football in the modern age. So I think it needs to be him. John Paul Richardson's another one. Uh, that needs to come in and kind of be a, a bigger bodied guy on the outside that can, you know, move the chains, can score some touchdowns for you. Uh, but they're going to need a lot of those guys uh, to come in and, and do something. They're bringing in nine transfers. I know they like some of the young guys that they brought in last year that didn't get as much playing time. So maybe some redshirt freshmen become those instant impact guys uh, from the roster that we didn't see last year. But another one to watch on the offensive side of the ball, maybe Trey Sanders. I don't know who the number one running back is for TCU. Maybe it's going to be by committee. But I think we saw last year the advantage of having a dude you can rely on. And when you lose Kendra Miller, you're going to have to replace that. Because as good as Max Duggan was, he doesn't have he didn't have to be everything offensively. He had a really good running game to balance that out and keep defenses honest. TCU is going to have to figure out that room as well to take that pressure off of Chandler. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. The one thing that I'm – I'm curious about is because Sonny Dykes obviously isn't a, he's a smart coach and he knows kind of where his team lacked at times last year. And I wonder if by committee, the passing game is a little better because, you know, you have, obviously you lose a Quentin Johnson. You can't replace that with any, regardless of how gifted Jojo world is, he's not going to come in and replace an NFL talent um, right away. But there were times where Darius Davis and Tay Barber were kind of lacked in terms of being that next guy up, right? A lot of the offense did rely on Kendra Miller to kind of do something, Max Duggan to kind of do something, Quentin Johnson eventually. I think the perfect example is that Michigan game where they hit early and they have this, the, you know, Quentin Johnson, or they get, they get punched them out there early, but then they hit a couple big plays here and there, Quentin Johnson, Kendra Miller, but they're not exactly like sustaining drives. They're not exactly like, you know, going man for man right up against them and then like really, really bashing their head in. They are, they're able to, on defense especially, they're able to punch Michigan back in, the, in their face. But at times this in this year, kind of, you kind of saw it in the way they won games where it was like, well, yeah, they didn't exactly have the, the, the offense consistently down after down to play this perfect game and control a game wire to wire. And I wonder if Sonny Dykes kind of sees this potentially as their chance to do that, right? With a Trey Sanders maybe and having a guy, maybe three or four guys in the backfield, maybe uh, three to two to three options on the outside, maybe more consistently. That's what I'm a little curious about. And then obviously the next step on defense is becoming kind of just an overall better defense. I think uh, Gillespie did a good job with a defense that was really bad two years ago, made them really respectable. Obviously against Michigan, they had their best game of the year. Um and so I wondered, that's my thing is like, we've seen this team have to come back from so many situations. Well, what are the things to kind of fix to where you don't have to, you know, you can control a game right away, right? You can come out on your first, second, third drive and establish a tone, establish a tempo. And I'm wondering if that's something we maybe see them shift more to this year, as opposed to the team that, you know, has to rely on these huge plays from huge NFL playmakers to kind of keep themselves in games. Yeah, I think they're going to take a step back offensively. You know, they sure, average... Sure. 39 points a game last year with all those, yeah. those people that we mentioned losing, you know, that that's going to just naturally happen. You can't do that every single year. You know, if you're not recruiting five star talent that is waiting in the wings or whatever, they don't have another Quentin Johnson. They don't have another Steve mm -hmm. Abelwell. You're right. They don't have another Kendra Miller. They're not going to be able to do that, but they gave up 29 points a game last year. And what we saw yeah. against Georgia, what we saw against Michigan in that third quarter and the fourth quarter, uh, they could give up points, right? And they gave up points in a lot of games. They played well against teams like Texas and stuff, but you know, they did give up a decent amount of points against good competition. If that defense can get better by a touchdown, then that evens out that offense, maybe getting worse by a touchdown. And then there's going to have to win close games. And they were able to do that last year. They weren't, you know, and we talk about this a lot. Mm -hmm. you can't count on those you know like yeah. we saw baylor kind of regress from a team that always won the close you know coin flip games to a team that didn't last year and that was you know mostly the you know the the function of them falling off a cliff and i, I think tcu could be in the same uh same league this isn't alabama this isn't georgia this isn't ohio state the margins are very very small for everybody else in college football and when you remove a few playmakers when you when you when you win a bunch of coin flip games the year before 
odds are you're going to take a big step back. I think the question for TCU is just how big of a step back. Does it go to nine games? Does it go to seven games? Does it go to flirting with not even being 500? And as a fan and as a program, I think it's important to go, what are our expectations? What are the realistic uh, you know, avenues for our success? Is it you figure out what that over and under is and judge it based on that, not judging it based on 2022? Because it's going to take Sonny a couple of years to kind of get that pool of talent back to where it was. I yeah, was going to say, too, think, it, it kind of has a Baylor-esque type feel because back in 2021 when Baylor had, you know, superstar staples like Jalen Petrie and Terrell Bernard, you know, we saw them kind of take a step back that next year because they didn't have that kind of leadership and that that's those staples that held the program together. I kind of feel like TCU might be kind of in that same spot with Mac, without Max Duggan, without Quentin Johnson and Kendra Miller. But it, it just kind of feels kind of 2022 Baylor-esque to me a little bit. Right. To start the year, I definitely agree with that, where it's like you make some pretty big decisions as far as uh, your roster is concerned. And, you know, their goal is to obviously avoid what we're talking about with Baylor. Right. But they're in a similar situation. It just feels like, right. It feels right. like they could be in the same situation. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we underestimated, I think we all underestimated how big of a factor those guys for Baylor played heading into last year. And we were like, oh, this should be a team that should be pretty solid. Right. And obviously they were solid, but I think there were some missing things uh, uh obviously missing um uh, uh playmakers and missing leaders in the locker room so yeah i i definitely be uh, if i'm yeah i think tcu and sunny dykes are very wary of that happening right you don't just lose a, a, a max duggan right people again heading into last year nobody had thought of max duggan as that type of leadership guy but it was clear that he was a t- he was a guy they rallied around they believed in um and so when you lose that kind of voice in the locker room i definitely think that that matters a lot so um with that being said and listen you know, before we move on to, yeah listen to the i hate being the schedule guy in, in march but the last no, five I, games, I was I was I was gonna I was gonna say that because this is a very backloaded schedule. Yeah, is which is good news, bad news, right? Sure. Like it, it gives them you know a, a runway into the year where maybe they're playing lesser competition to figure all of those pieces out. What is JoJo sure. Earl? What is Chandler Morris? What are the new leaders on the defensive side? On the flip side, though, this can look very Sunny Dykes SMUE, right? Where it's like six and two, seven and one, and then all of a sudden it's like seven and five, you know, because right. it is at Kansas State, at Texas Tech, versus Texas, versus Baylor, at Oklahoma. Like, yeah. <laughs> that is as tough as you can get. Like, it, and it's just a one-year thing, right? Because Oklahoma and Texas are gone. Like, that's that's about as tough as a, a Big 12 gauntlet's ever been at the end of the year. Well, and, and, like, I mean, along that line, like, sure, yeah, it's the last year you play Texas and Oklahoma, but, like, you want to, you want to get your butt kicked by him in the last year, right? You want you want to be able to get at least you know one win, maybe obviously an upset or two, and to get two wins, you want to be able to beat them in their last time playing those teams. So, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know that that kind of amps the pressure up, especially the last time Texas is going to be in Fort Worth. Like, yeah, you want to beat them. So, yeah, that's. I when is their when is their bye week too? Is it later on in the uh, year? It looks it's right after you. Kansas State. Yeah, it's Kansas okay. State. They got a midweek, uh, Texas so Tech like, midweek. I think it's Thursday. like eight week, eight wins, eight weeks, a break, and then four four weeks because they moved. It was going to be the same as it was last year, but they moved that Houston game in the Big That's Twelve right. up to week three. So yeah. it's kind of like three non conference, two non conference games, Houston, a non conference game. Kind of, it's kind of like a weird deal there. Uh, but Sunny and at, at TCU did not want to have that early of a bye week again because of how yeah. hard it is. To, get, to close and so well, especially right. with this schedule too yeah right. that is that is the good thing of this schedule is they get kansas state then they get a bye then they get that last month of the year all right craven uh holding your head over water do you pick tcu or baylor have a better chance to win the big 12 tcu honestly mm-hmm. I, I i think i think i know more about what tcu is honestly mm-hmm. as, as crazy as that may sound like, I don't know who the weapons are for TCU's recruited better. They got mm-hmm. better transfers. I, I think they had a more talented roster last yeah. year with guys that are coming back. I mean, TCU's got a guy like Jordan Hudson at wide receiver waiting in the wings. I, I don't know yeah. if Baylor has a guy like that. And so uh, I think there's still, you know, the, the secondary, I believe, is better at TCU. The linebacker core is going to be really good at TCU. I just think that there's more sure things at TCU and the feel good vibe is better in TCU. They're yeah. just coming off a runner-up national mm-hmm. championship, 12-0 and regular season. The belief is there. The team for Baylor is coming off a 6-7 and seven 
you know, six and seven season. It's just a little bit different. There's more proven in Baylor than there is TCU. I think they finish around the same record. I think they're both seven, eight, nine win teams. Uh, but I think if I had to pick one, it would be TCU. I think the team next is the team I would pick as a dark horse in-state Big 12 contender. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of prove-it years, um, I don't know if it's a prove-it year, but they're going to want to prove it. Uh, Texas Tech, I mean, we you thought last year we were high on Joey McGuire and the Red Raiders. I don't think – we were high on the hire. We were obviously very cautiously optimistic about the season. The season ended up better than it than we thought – and we always, even if when they made the hire heading into this time last year, heading into the season, we were like, not this year, next year, 2023. Let's start talking Texas Tech. I mean, <laughs> they're in position to really make something big here. Now, this is obviously projection, but the pieces are there. The the environment's there. The landscape is there. You know, let, let's, let's keep with the quarterback uh, discussion first. Obviously, they have a decision to make with Tyler Shuck or Baron Morton. Something tells me as innovative as Joey McGuire and Tech were last year on fourth, you know, not punting, you know, very, being very aggressive on fourth downs and how forward thinking they were. Something tells me Joey McGuire's old football coach brain will want the senior veteran quarterback to be the starter in Tyler Shuck. That's just me. That's me speculating. That's not me reporting anything. But when he was healthy, he came back in, and they seemed. And Joey McGuire was very comfortable with him as a starting quarterback. I think that's just his, 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 his cliched ball coach coming back into him, saying, "Yeah, we want the senior, right? Back to his high school mentality. We want the senior over the sophomore, or whatever." Um, so, what are your thoughts on Tyler Shuck versus Baron Morton? Obviously, we talked last year about all the quarterbacks they had, the different skill sets they have. I think personally, for me, Tyler Shuck gives them the blend of everything. Um, whether or not his ceiling is as high as a Baron Morton, I don't know, but I feel like the floor he gives you is maybe higher. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how much age comes into it or how much just what they did. I mean, Tashuk's 4 0 when he started under Joey McGuire. Uh, yeah, you know, Baron Morton has a live arm, maybe has a, you know, a higher upside as a passer, can throw more routes on the, on the passing tree, but I don't think Shuck's far that far behind. Uh, you know, he's an Oregon transfer. Uh, mm -hmm. who had a lot of talent a lot of people thought it was going to be like an NFL draft pick after one year uh, under Matt Wells with Texas Tech and it just hasn't worked out that way because you know he's had two collarbone injuries that have cost him two-thirds uh, of last year and basically the whole season the year before so I think if you're Texas Tech both of those guys are going to play because sure. it's hard to go well you played four games or six games in, in two years and then you're going to play a full season. I, I think it's pretty safe to say as a tech staff, you can go to Baron Morton and go, even if you don't win this job, you're going to be starting a few games this year at least. And when you get that opportunity, you can take it and, and maybe never look back. The reason I'm high on Texas Tech is one, the coaching staff, they just, they haven't figured it out behind the scenes, right? Like they, they right. have a, uh, a program rowing in the right direction in a way that you just rarely see by year two. And I'm not just talking on the field, like just look at the facilities and the amount of money that they've raised to do NIL, just how much has changed in 12 months. Like when he got the job to where it is now, like the machine is rolling. And, it's and Lubbock, it, Yeah. It's just, it's, it's been remarkable. Right. And so, you know, we always knew McGuire was that guy. It was about how could he get the roster turned over and figured out, well, it turns out that roster is a little bit more talented than maybe we all thought it was. And so he hasn't had to go to the portal as much. Uh, I think the offensive line is going to be better this year because Cole Spencer is going to play. The interior of the defensive line may be the best in the Big 12. Like, when has you ever been able to say that about Texas Tech and the history of Red Raider football? And so, you know, they have some question marks. What are they going to do at left tackle? They got to replace linebackers. I think the big one may be Tyree Wilson. How do they figure that out? Right. You're not going to mm -hmm. replace a top 10 draft pick with somebody who's in Lubbock, Texas. It's just not going to happen. And so they're going to have to figure that part out. Uh, but I think in a big 12 that is wide open where Kansas state who also lost people and is going to have to figure that out. And Texas who, I mean, you can count on them at your own peril right over the last 15 years, Texas Tech's kind of quietly right in that mix. I think that they kind of are like the Kansas State of last year where maybe they don't win the regular season title, but if they can sneak into that title game, I wouldn't want to play them. And so that's a good spot to be if you're Texas Tech. The fact that we're even having these conversations is yeah. proof positive that that was the correct way to go when they hired McGuire from Baylor. Yeah, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned uh, Tyree Wilson and obviously you can't, when when he left, when he was out this year, it, that was like the biggest 
the biggest blow to their season, I think, was was just like teams didn't have to worry about scheming away from one side of the ball, basically. I wonder if this year, again, not saying they replace him, but with the overall talent coming back, right? You did your uh, interior defensive lineman rankings. Um, and just overall, could they be better on the defensive line, right? I think obviously you have, you're missing that game breaker, but on, I'm talking about on the two deep overall Last year, you could really you had success if you were able to scheme away from Tyree Wilson. I'm wondering if the difference this year is well, there's no necessarily weak spot on this defense, right? And so you have a Jalen Hutchings kind of being that 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 kind of game potential game breaker this year. You have a Tony Bradford, right, as well, kind of being that game breaker. And I'm wondering if that's kind of the next step this team takes is like, okay, well, you can't really scheme away from one player because we got actually, you know, a couple guys, four or five deep on that on the defensive line that we can just continue to rotate and be pretty okay, um, no matter who's in the game. So I'm wondering if that's kind of the next step this this takes because, like you mentioned, Tyree Wilson's not a plug and play guy. He's probably going to be the second defensive lineman off the board um, in the draft, and so that kind of talent you can't just replace, but. I wonder by committee if they are just kind of overall more deep this year. I think the defensive line is going to be good. I mean, Tim DeRuiter, every stop he's ever had, defensive line's been pretty solid. So I think defensive mm-hmm. line is going to be pretty. I like what they're. In, I like what they are in the secondary. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Malik Dunlap, one of the best corners in in the state. You know, Dadrian Taylor Demerson's really good. Tyler Owens has always had a lot of athletic ability. For me, it's linebacker. You know, they they lose mm-hmm. Creshawn Merriweather. How do they how do they replace you know a hundred plus tacklers? You know, like that guy has been their leading tackler the last few years. Who steps up there? Is it Jacob Rodriguez? Who's that going to be? And so for me, it's the second level of the defense that I'm most concerned about. And I mean, having Tyree Wilson makes everybody look better. And so. Sure. Um, uh, Jalen Hutchins had a great year. Tony Bradford had a great year. They're going to see more double teams this year than they ever saw last year when Tyree Wilson was on the field. And they're going to have to figure that out. Who's going to be that guy who takes the double teams and who's going to be the other players that step up around them. Uh, DeRuiter's always had really good edge rushers going back to like Von Miller in those days. He's going to manufacture pass rushing. But as you mentioned, you don't plug and play a, a guy who is a top two draft pick in the NFL. Texas Tech just simply doesn't recruit that way yet. Like you're not, like we talked about, you're not Alabama, you're not Georgia. Only so many places can do that. There's going to be a step back production wise on the edge, as you pointed out. Maybe those other players can pick up the slack. Yeah. One. Uh, let's get to the other side of the trenches because that's arguably might be the make or break for the season, in my opinion. Um, the offensive line we mentioned last year was. Very awful. And that's why they stuck with Donovan Smith for as long as they did. You know, somebody who can just run and be and handle the pressure. Um, obviously, in some situations, it paid off because he was able to avoid pressure and make plays. And, and you know, it kind of flashes talents that way. He's a bigger body. He can take the hits. Tyler Shuck, we mentioned, very injury prone throughout his career. Um, whether he's injury prone or just bad luck with injury, regardless, you don't want him getting hit. <laughs> uh, Baron Morton, young player as well, obviously dealt with an injury last year. You don't want him getting hit. You pick up a Cole Spencer who you got from who you get back from injury, who was supposed to play, be a big player for this team, uh, coming in from Western Kentucky, where he played, uh, of course, with uh, uh, under Zach Kidley. You know, what are your expectations for this offensive line? Because Cole Spencer probably the best defense offensive lineman coming in, but he's coming off an injury. Is he going to be in again? He's having to adjust on the fly to the big 12, right? He didn't get that chance last year to really come in and face against these, these type of defensive linemen or pass rushers, things like that. So, but instantly he becomes probably your most talented offensive lineman. You know, what are you expecting from this team that, that, you know, has the talented running back has playmakers on the outside has quarterbacks, that front five though is gonna be a real real issue yeah i mean i think a distinction is, like they are pretty good in the interior dennis wilburn at center is pretty good landon mm-hmm. peterson at right guard was pretty good you slide cole spencer uh i would assume at the left guard position and now you're guard to guard you know you're there maybe not the best in the big 12 or you know a texas or oklahoma in terms of overall talent but that's a that's mm-hmm. a solid guard to guard you can win with that in the big 12 it comes sure. down to the outside Right, Monroe Mills, oh, so, solid at right tackle. Uh, Caleb Rogers struggled at, at left tackle, and so they're going to have yeah. to figure that out. Whether that's moving him over to right tackle and then and figure out a left tackle spot, or maybe he takes a step forward in year two as a left tackle because he was he was new to that side. 
uh, uh, last year. But can a Ty Buchanan, who was a transfer and a big time recruit, can he take a next step up? Right. Um, can a Matt Keeler, also a transfer, take a step up? Can any of those guys that they're bringing in this year uh, slide and play in there? But if they can't figure out the tackle spot, that means you got to keep a tight end in or running back in. And that limits what Kitley's trying to do. Uh, I think they're going to be good running the football with guys like Taj Brooks, Cameron Valdez. And so, you know, if they can figure out the edge of the offensive line, I think Texas Tech's offense is going to be one of the better ones in the nation. Yeah, I think so too. I think like you mentioned, they have the, they have the playmakers and they have the kind of the pieces there. Uh, obviously last year in practice wasn't as obviously wasn't as great, but it, it kind of feels like one of the recipes for success. And they just kind of figure out, yeah, they really got to figure out how it just kind of all works together. So, yeah, I mean, we've mentioned Texas and we've mentioned how this won't be the last time that we're going to be high on Texas. This is not gonna be the last time we're gonna be high on Texas tech. This off season is going to be pretty big for both of those programs. Um, and we'll see kind of the news coming out of spring, you know, obviously transfer portal, things like that, who emerges from spring as somebody that's going to play into our expectations as well. But I know Craven's having a, going to have an interesting time putting together his previews and, and kind of predictions for both of those teams in particular. Especially when uh, the summer transfer opens up on June 1st and you can just like go right. sign any guys or guys can leave. And that's the other part of college football too, is like, <laughs> these spring practices become places where you not only find question marks, but you can potentially go find some answers. Like it used to be like, sure, Oh sure. crap. We don't have a left tackle. What in the world are we going to do? But right. now, now it can be, Oh crap. We don't have a left tackle. Well, we can go sign one in the portal, especially <laughs> a place like Texas tech where you're offering NIL money and, and you have some incentives to go there. And so, you know, I, I think that's the cool part. I, I Maybe some people get frustrated by it. But to me, that's one of the cool parts of football nowadays is you can go address some of those those holes in ways that, that you couldn't. And I think that's why we're seeing some of the best football we've ever seen played is because teams are deeper and better than they've ever been because they can go use essentially what is free agency in the summer. Right. No, 100%. I agree with that. That's going to be hopefully for you, not too frustrating. Hopefully it's more more on the positive side where it's like, hey, look, they got somebody instead of, hey, look, you got to erase <laughs> this section again. Um, all right, let's look at the conference as a whole now because this is obviously, for multiple reasons, a huge year. Last year of Texas and Oklahoma, kind of the first year of kind of figuring out who the next crop of teams are going to be uh, kind of in their absence. Houston obviously comes into the picture. Um you know, is this as simple as Texas, Oklahoma, and then the pack? Is it back to kind of, you know, is it kind of a reverse of what we've seen in, in years past where, you know, obviously instead of Oklahoma being at the top, it's Texas, but, um, or or do you see it playing out differently? I think Kansas State can't be forgotten. You know, mm. defending champions, you know, Chris Kleiman seems to win every single where, you know, every single place he goes. And I, mm-hmm. I think that there's something to be said about that. You know, obviously, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be the most talented rosters. I, I believe Texas is poised uh, to compete in a way that they haven't in a while just because they're so experienced. That offensive line is good. They're good at linebacker. They're good in the secondary. So I, I think to me, they're going to be the betting favorite once June, July comes around and the more reputable places have real lines. I would imagine Texas is right there. Oklahoma, sure. number two, Kansas State, number three. Uh, but Kansas State was like fifth or sixth last year, and they go and they win the Big 12. TCU was picked like seventh, and they go undefeated. The year before, Baylor goes from two wins to a Big 12 championship game. So I feel like the Big 12 more than ever is wide open. And so mm-hmm. uh, I will take the field if it's Texas, Oklahoma in the field, just because of the recent history of the Big 12 being so wacky and wild that the favorites don't win anymore. It feels like the favorites aren't sure. the favorites anymore. Uh, I think Kansas State would be my favorite, but I do think Texas is right there. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that. I think that's probably how I I look at things as well. My my one, yeah, I mean, I guess Texas Tech would be my, my own like dark horse kind of thing right there. But can, like you mentioned, I think Kansas State is probably the safer bet. Obviously, they have some big pieces to replace with Deuce Vaughn and whatever the situation they have at quarterback, but even like you said, like Chris Kleiman's figured out how to make things work anyway. Um, regardless, their defense is going to be good. They have an identity on offense, so they'll obviously they're almost guaranteed to be some type of player. Um, now, with, now with this being the last year of Texas and Oklahoma, you know, I guess this is more of a question about the future of the Big Twelve. But regardless, this is still something that we're we're going to have to keep track of as a Texas podcast. 
you know, now that the SEC theoretically becomes even more the tougher con the toughest conference in the in the country next year in 2024. I mean, does the Big 12 like is it possible right now for the Big 12 to equate themselves or even surpass the Big 10 or is it just right now the SEC, the Big 10 and then the, you know, kind of the wasteland Mad Max <laughs> frenzy of everybody else? Yeah, it feels like the term Power Five is outdated now that the the four team invitational is out of there. Right, it feels like a Power Two, and then everyone else. I think I think yeah. Richard Johnson kind of said that on Twitter the other day, and it feel it feels pretty true to me. Like the SEC and the Big Ten are, are far and away better than everybody, especially when USC, UCLA uh, joined the Big Ten. It feels like they just have you know five or six programs that are just so good you can't you can't deny their place as the second best. Uh, conference in college football uh, mm-hmm. but i think the big 12 right now is the third best co- football conference in america and starting in 2024 even without texas and oklahoma they are going to be the third best conference in america and so i don't know how much changes for them and the good news for 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 the big 12 and for all of us as college football fans is the playoff is expanding in a way that doesn't shut them out if it would have stayed mm-hmm. at four that's true it could have been sec versus big 10 every single year Best two teams mm-hmm. in the SEC, best two teams in the Big Ten. Uh, perception carries all, and they just play it out, and it just becomes kind of a, a, a you know European championship for for Big Ten SEC football. The expansion allows the Big Twelve champion to get in every year, and if that Big Twelve champion starts doing really well, it probably allows two teams to get in there every single year. Uh, and so, uh, for me, I think the Big Twelve is poised. Uh, to be as good or as prevalent as ever. Sure, it won't have Texas, it won't have Oklahoma, uh, but they're keeping $100 million of rights in there. They're bringing in three or four uh, really good football programs with, with high upsides. And so uh, I think they're, they're positioned as any uh, to, to be relevant in college football beyond you know the major two that are going to suck up all the air from CBS, ESPN, Fox. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good point because – Obviously, you're wondering, like, if the Big 12 chooses to expand. Right now, it doesn't look like there's any obvious candidates. Um, Right now, obviously, the Pac-12 is trying to figure out what their candidates are. Even if, I think, as is, they're, at worst, the the third. Um, Because even if the Pac-12 tries to get SMU and San Diego State or whatever, that's not, like, the ceiling of those programs aren't the ceiling of what Houston could be. They're not the ceiling of what UCF Cincinnati are, could be, things like that. And so I think at worst, even if the Big 12 stays put, you're going to be third, right? And depending on what happens with – depending on what happens with the Big 10, I think they're probably just – they're probably stuck at number two right now. Who knows? But, you know, things fluctuate. It could be – in past years, it's sometimes been just Ohio State and everybody else in the Big 10. Um, obviously, Michigan's been up there now the past couple of years. And so it could continue to fluctuate like that. And maybe the Big 12 has a rise in there if Texas Tech gets its money right or whatever. Who knows? But um, yeah, I, I think at worst, they're probably sitting at three. But like you mentioned, with the expansion coming up, it, it's almost, I don't want to say irrelevant, but it does become less of an issue when it comes to you know how prominent you are in the national scene. When you have a guaranteed spot, you potentially have an at-large bid if you can get your way in there as well. Um, you potentially could have two-ish spots. Who knows? Um, but yeah. Because of because of last year, it was already at twelve. Sure, right. TCU and Kansas State are in. Right. Yeah. You know, and and that that's as good as it's ever been for the Big Twelve, right? I mean, they never yeah. got two teams in. It was a struggle to get one in, and every time they would, people laugh. You know, and so right. um, I think Big Twelve is as positioned to be important in college football as it's ever been, despite losing its two quote unquote bell cows and money makers at the top. And I think that just shows the landscape of college football and how it's changing it. And maybe we're getting back to the time where it was a little bit more spread out. It wasn't so top heavy of a sport. Sure. No, I agree with that. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think that might be all we got. Well, let's go with, uh, let's go with favorites. What do you got? I think I'm taking Kansas state uh, with Texas, Texas being number two. That's my mid March okay. pick with uh, plenty of time, plenty of wiggle room to change. I haven't placed any bets. So uh, I, I can still I was change. Gonna say, how many times is that going to change within the next couple right. months? <laughs> right. As I'm doing the magazine, I start changing things. Like you just start, you start getting into one team a little too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you start changing point. your opinion about Second it. Guessing so yourself. I, I will go six weeks of tormenting myself before that thing comes out. I think I'll, in my March pick, I think I'm leaning Texas right now. Um, 
But who knows, after spring, we might get all the doomsayers saying, actually, Arch Manning is awful, and Quinn Ewers is worse than he was last year. And I was like, well, okay, never mind then. All of that's gone. So um, we'll see. Uh, I love the the, the spring storylines coming out, though. Um, oh, one more. Here's one on the list that I didn't get to. Brett Yormark. Uh, let's talk about him a little bit, really quick. The young, what are you, how, how are you grading the year one of the young, hipper, cooler Big 12 that does BAPE sponsorships and has concerts at halftime or whatever they do? Some of it's a little hokey. Some of it oh, some is of it's very, very hokey. Some of it is very like, oh, yeah, he did work for Rock Nation and for like right. professional sports leagues that do like the dumbest things in between commercial Didn't they have a hip hop and... track to their women's playlist, yes. like tournament yeah. or whatever? Yeah, yeah, to, yeah was... to, for March Madness or whatever. And it's it's about as bad as you would think that it is. Um, but I'd still give him an A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he beat everybody to the punch, or at least he beat the Pac-12 to the punch on TV market deals. And kind of like mm-hmm. in recruiting, he kind of took the open scholarship. And now the Pac-12 is the one scrambling to be streamed and what's going to happen there. I think the Big 12 is in the same spot if they wait, you know, so good right. on him for getting out in front of it. It does feel like perception-wise, it is complete. This time last year, we were wondering if the Big 12 was even going to exist in the way that it exists. That's a good We point. thought it was going to fold into the Pac-12, and now we've all changed our mind until is the Pac-12 going to fold into the Big 12, right? And so right. to me, that's all about Brett Yormark and what he's done. Um, he's been forward-thinking. He's been aggressive. He's been first to the punch. And in any good fight, you, you don't wait to get punched in the face. You punch first. Mm-hmm. And he's done that really well. I'd give him an A. I, I think the Big 12, as, as I said earlier, I think they're as positioned to be good in the, the makeup of college football as they've ever been. And then I don't know if you saw the thing today, but they're going to do like a Big 12 Pro Day. You know, where instead of like having it all these different colleges and stuff like that, and I'm sure Texas, like Bajon Robinson would still have his own pro day, right? Sure, but like sure. for everybody else and those guys, have it all together. Have all the scouts there instead of having five scouts here, 20 scouts there. Mm-hmm. Let's get it all together. Right? It's that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah. let's just make our own combine. Screw who gets invited and who doesn't get invited. If we have everybody in the same spot, all 32 teams are going to be represented. It's stuff. It's the outside of the box thinking brought to an old school sport. That impresses me. This is a very country club, good old boy sport that hasn't changed for better or worse for a long time. They were resistant of change. And Brett Yormark has come in and been the opposite of that. And that's refreshing. And I think it's already been rewarding. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, for all the hokiness that, you know, the the young hipper stuff gets, one, that gets people talking about the Big 12, first of all. So, like, even if it's hokey, even if it's weird, you're still pumping out Big 12 content for them, right? Hey, check out how bad this track is. Well, cool. You just blasted a link to the Big 12's YouTube page all over the place. Um, but in addition to that, yeah, I think the the swiftness in how he acted in one, getting everybody to because Houston being in the Big 12 is a massive deal, right? That was a thing that like 10 years ago was not going to happen, right? And then he kind of got everybody on the same track saying, Hey, look, we need them or we go under. And he got everybody kind of in rank, rank and file. Boom, here comes Houston. And then who's the other markets? Okay, Ohio. Let's get Cincinnati. Let's get, you know, UCF, things like that. Um, BYU. And so, yeah, it makes sense that or those moves made sense, but it seemed like they were always like kind of pipe dreams or like things that people, not everybody wanted necessarily. And so it was kind of unknown if they would happen. He kind of got it to happen. So I think that's something that also goes in his favor. So yeah, I mean, so far so good as far as his tenure is concerned right now, they're in a position of where, I mean, I can't, there's no obvious next domino for realignment, right? There's no next, like, Oh, so-and-so is going to the sec next. Well, like there's no, all those moves have happened. And they're still afloat and they're probably more stable now that they don't have to worry about Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Um, they're probably more stable than they have been in the past. So, yeah, I think I think I agree from going from a decade of wondering where they are, the pecking order to stability to participation in the national championship. Now they're kind of stable and they kind of have answers more or less to all those questions, which are we're going to be fine. We're going to be able to compete and we know who our teams are. So uh, yeah, definitely a successful year one for me too. Uh, that'll do it for us. We did our little spring preview. Uh, now that, you know, next week spring break will be more or less over. And so these teams will be getting back to camp, back in the swing of things. Some teams will, I don't know, has everybody started yet or is there still? No, a lot of them start, you know, at Baylor, TCU, a and right. a lot of them start. So there's two schools of thoughts here. You know, some coaches yeah, yeah. like to start a week or two before spring break and then give spring break as kind of a buffer 
uh, sure. and then finish it off and spread out the spring practices. Some just like to get them back from spring break, get the last party in out for, for all the players and just get them back on Monday and start it from there. Uh, so I, I've right. always been, I always find it interesting, you know, how coaches or why coaches do that kind of stuff. Sure. No, I, I think I agree with that. That's not a bad, um, I think I agree personally with the starting after, you know, just like, Hey, get it all out. But right. then again, some, some, I feel like some players may overdo it and be like, cool. That means I can like go completely that's the, crazy. That's and the, then so the Jeff zone. trailer, Jeff trailer at UTSA likes to start it a week before two weeks before spring break. That way your last hurrah isn't spring break. Mm-hmm. That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, like I you're already beat up. You're already sore. You're already stiff. Maybe spring break is spent kind of recovering and hanging out. Right. Because right. your body needs the break. Whereas if you don't start until March 20th, well, boy, you got to get out there and go <laughs> in spring break. Cause you're going to be busy for the next six weeks. And so, uh, you know, I, I think I, I, as a coach, I would do it that way as a player. Sure. I want it done the other way. I'd, yeah. want, right. I'd want to be not sore on spring break personally. That's a fun little <laughs> no. off season piece too. If you think about it, that'd be interesting yeah. to kind of go around and see the philosophies what, of each coach and, you know, kind of what their mindset is at and and then kind of you probably talk to some players. Hey, what'd you do? Like, was it were you were you were you chilling or were you right. going to Fort Lauderdale? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, y'all y'all remember being twenty for Mallory. It was like last week. You know, you can <laughs> you can you can recover a lot quicker. So I think you sure. know these coaches start yeah. making decisions and they they're thinking about themselves. Like trailers, like well, if I started spring practice. I wouldn't do anything for spring break because I'd be being sore, but he's right. 50 plus years old. Like these guys are 20. Say. They're, they're partying, man. They're having a good say, time. Frank like, Harrison go out the night of a two a day. Yeah. Like he can probably <laughs> go yeah. out that night. Yeah. <laughs> they're good. They're, 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 they're energizer bunnies. That's why they are the elite of the elite. The rest of us are the ones that are like, man, I would need, I would need to sit in a cold bath for two days. Or... <laughs> right. That's my vacation. Yeah. Uh, all right. With that being said, we have interviewed 12 of the 13 FBS head coaches on this show. Jimbo Fisher, give us a call or give Jay Arnold or Mike Craven a call to go on Aggie War Pod. With that go. being a reminder as well. We'll share the audio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with that being said, of course, subscribe. Republic of Football on the, on the uh, Apple and Spotify feeds. Subscribe to all of our podcasts on the podcast network. Aggie Warpod, of course, and Eyes of Texas on are the brand new ones that we launched. But, of course, go check out every single one. You will see them weekly starting this week popping up here. And uh, with that being said, unfortunately, Rutgers lost their playing game. I was going to say go Rutgers. Congratulations <laughs> on making the tournament. But they no, lost they didn't their make plane. the tournament. They uh, they were in the NIT. That's right, and they then they lost the, the game. They hosted the NIT and they lost. So anyway, go Rutgers! Congrats on hosting the NIT, and that'll do it for us. <laughs>